Well, guys, we are well into our series on unity that we started back in January. And uh, last week, we talked about humility, about getting rid uh, of the, the pride in our lives, the parts of us that are anti-God, the parts of us that are still like sitting on the throne, where it's just all about me and where we want to be number one. And we discussed how pride really throws a wrench into unity because what pride does is it distance me, distances me from you, from other people, and it distances me from God. And when you think about it, you couldn't ask for a worse thing for unity than that. And so we talked about how you know, God opposes the proud. And, and so really, we need to be ruthlessly getting rid of this junk from our lives. We do not want pride in our lives. And so as part of your homework was to meet with a few people, to ask them to say, hey, do you see any pride in my life? And where, where, where am I showing these parts of myself where it's just all about me? And uh, so hopefully you did your homework. I'd encourage you to try to really apply it because it's where we take what we learn and put it into practice. Um, I did get some comments this week about the homework. Uh, some people are frustrated because when they're approaching other people to share with them, like, hey, do I have any pride? They're not being honest with them. Uh, they feel like they're just saying, uh, yeah, no, I, I don't see anything. And they're like, either I'm awesome or these guys aren't being, uh, being honest with me. And so I wanted to kind of speak to that. Here might be some solutions with that. And I really believe that, guys, for people to be honest with us, we really have to do a good job of setting the table for them to share with us. In other words, we have to really do a great job of saying, guys, we need you to be honest. I need you to tell me the truth. Yes, I know it's gonna hurt, and yes, it's gonna sting, but in Proverbs it says, faithful are the wounds of a friend. And I know you love me and I know I, I trust you and so I, I want to hear from that. So reassure them that what they're doing, they're actually doing you a favor by pointing these things out in your life because you want your life to portray Jesus and we have to help each other with that. Also, I'd recommend that you give them time to answer. Don't just walk up to them and be like, hey, Tom, uh, I've got a question for you. Hey, uh, do you see any pride in my life, any areas you want to point out to me? Where yet? Well, when you, when you do it like that, it puts them like a deer in a headlights. They, they can't think of everything on the spot. And they'll be like, no, man, I think you look good. That's great. Um, but if you give them time, if you say, hey, listen, I want you to think about this for a week or two. Um, evaluate just how I'm interacting with other people, how I'm interacting with you. If you see any areas in my life where I'm just trying to build myself up, just, just let me know about that. I want to know that. And if you give them that freedom, I think they'll do that. So try that out. All right, well, we're going to sling off of last week, the topic of humility, into the topic of being a servant. And, and I'm just going to say that the topic today greatly depends, if we're going to experience it, it greatly depends on whether we're experiencing humility or not in our lives. Because without humility, there is no way you can be a servant, okay? It's impossible to have a servant's heart without humility. It just can't be done. Okay, so humility is literally the pathway that leads to being an amazing servant. And we're going to see that today. And so, like I said, everything is going to flow out of last week's sermon into this week. And we're going to see how that when we learn to serve each other, it really promotes a unity in our midst that really honors God. And so, to begin with, I want us to turn to a passage in our Bibles, Philippians chapter 2. If you have your Bibles, turn there, Philippians chapter 2. Remember, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, so if you hear any of those names, you're getting close to it. Philippians chapter 2, and if you have your own Bible, or even if you have a church Bible, I want you to highlight these verses, okay? Underline them, because they are so important. Chapter 2, verse 5, it says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, 
who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. All right. Do you see that? He became a servant. He, he humbled himself. Jesus, the greatest example we could ever ask for, he became a servant and he humbled himself. And Paul is saying, listen, guys, you do the same thing. In your relationships with one another, follow Christ's example. Do what he did. And if Jesus was a humble servant, then we need to be that as well. And once again, everything we talk about, it always comes back to following Jesus. He's the greatest example for us. So the question this morning is, what does a servant or a true servant look like? And I'm just going to say, I think there's a lot of characteristics to being a true servant. Um, and I'm only going to be able to touch on a few important ones this morning. And the first one I want to say is this. I, I believe that a true servant serves because being a servant is their identity. And let me see if I can explain that, if, if I can, this morning. You see, a true servant thinks like a servant. He, he, he or she acts like a servant. His or her whole life is filtered through the lenses of being a servant. They understand that that is who they are. Okay? In other words, they don't serve for the praises of men. They, they, they aren't in it for the photo opportunity. They don't just serve others to be seen by others. No, they serve because they are servants. Unlike the people in our world, you know how it is, especially in this time frame of the world we're in right now, we look at our politicians, and you know, politicians are the, the people, they're looking for the photo opportunity. They, they will go into the neighborhoods where the hurricanes have done all this devastation, and you know, they'll get with the people who are the broken down, they put their arm around them, and the pictures are all, you know, and they're just like, we're here to serve you. They'll go into the factories and the foundries and they put their little hard hat in like they're one of the boys, you know, they're the hard workers. We're a blue collar. And they stand up there, give their little speeches like, we're here to serve you. We're your servant. And, and really, all it boils down to is they're just trying to get higher approval ratings in the polls. They do it for the praises of men. It's a brief show to be able to get something. And I get it. That's how the world works. And truth be told, I know we like to mock our politicians, but the truth is, is that we do the very same thing in our own life. We do things to be seen by others. We, we want to put off this idea that we really truly are servants by doing things, but we do it so that other people will see us. And when push comes to shove, the only reason why we really did it was to get the pat on the back. That was our reason. A true servant doesn't do that. A true servant simply understands who he or she is, and that is a servant. So if I'm a servant, third service, guess what I will do? Serve, Serve exactly. Not for praises, not for higher approval ratings, not for anything other than I serve because I am a servant, and that's what a servant does. You never saw servants in the olden days serving to get photo opportunities. Servants didn't serve to get notoriety. They didn't serve to get pats on the back. They just served because they were servants. In other words, like the cupbearer of the king. 
He was a servant. It was his job to taste the wine, to make sure there wasn't poison in it. And then if he didn't die, he handed it to the king. That was how he served the king. Now he didn't do it for the praise of the men. He didn't walk in like, I'm the cupbearer and I'm gonna pour a little bit here and drink it and then hand it to you. He didn't do that. He just served. Servants were basically invisible. They, did, they didn't get the praises of men. They served because they were servants. And guys, I just wanna say a true servant in our midst is the one who, who does it because they understand that's who they are. And, and I wonder how many of us really understand that that is what we are to be. Servants, that should be our identity. And honestly, we should glory in that identity. It's who we are. Our lives should be filtered through that identity. Like when you think of the Apostle Paul, the Apostle Paul, one of the greatest men in the New Testament. You know, when he starts off the book of Romans, he starts off by saying, I'm Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. When he starts off Philippians, he says, Paul and Timothy, servants of God. He starts off Titus, he goes, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Now, why in the world would he do that? Because he knew that's who he was. Yes, he, he was an apostle. And yes, he was the author of many of the books in the New Testament. And yes, he was a man of great power and God used him to do great and mighty things. But he understood and, and he filtered his entire life through the reality that he was a servant of Jesus Christ and everything flowed out of that. Paul served not to become famous, not for the praises of men. No, simply because that's who he was, a servant, and a servant serves. And third service, I, I want to ask us to do that same thing. I want to ask, are we willing to get that stamp placed upon us that we carry this title of, I'm a servant? Can we truly begin to believe and understand that that is who we are? It's our identity. And then out of that identity, let's serve one another. Amen? Second thing, a true servant doesn't punch the clock. Now, I think sometimes we, we misunderstand what a servant is. And I think especially here in America, where we don't have servants, we, we don't understand you know, what a true servant is. And so I think sometimes we confuse a servant with something that we call a volunteer. We confuse serving with volunteering. And here's what I mean by that. We live in a day and age, especially here in America, where we are asked to volunteer for everything. Can I get an amen on that? I mean, it is crazy. If your child is in school, you're volunteering for something. If he's in a sport, then you should volunteer for the concessions or volunteer in some fundraising team or volunteer to have the team over and feed him supper to do team building exercises or be an organizer or whatever. If your child's a boy in Boy Scouts and you gotta be volunteer to be a, a leader there. If your daughter's in Girl Scouts and you gotta volunteer to be the den mother or whatever they call it. I mean, if you're, if you're in any sort of little activity, you gotta volunteer to go do fundraising at Fleet Farm on the weekends. You guys ever done that? Yeah, a bunch of us have. By the way, for the record, I don't like those things. When I walk into a store and they're doing one of those little fun and those little kids are selling stuff, I, 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 I try to go as far away as I can. From the, and, and here's the reason why. I don't like what they're selling. If they sold me Twinkies, I'd buy your Twinkies. If you sold Rocky Road ice cream, I'd buy, I'd buy that. But they sell like these little 
chocolate-covered pretzels made in Malaysia or popcorn made in the Philippines and, or stuff like this, and I'm just like, I don't want that stuff. But it's hard. You, you come out of the store, and this little cute little girl or kid is going, hi, I'm a girl scout. Can you please buy my cookies and uh, just stuff because I want to pay for this outfit or whatever, and you're like, uh, sure, sweetie. And so you pay $48 for a little bob of popcorn, and you know, that's it. And you feel bad for the parents because the parents are like, I'm sorry, thank you, thank you, you know. And so I, I, this is what I do when I see that in a store, and I know I'm rabbit trailing here, but when I see that happen in a store, I know this is probably a sin, but I will take out my phone and I act like I'm talking. And I will walk in like, right, Tom, yeah, yeah, I know, right. And I want to convey that I would buy all your stuff if I wasn't on this phone, but I'm on this phone, so I, I can't buy your stuff. And I just walk in as soon as I get out. Put the phone and I'm back in there. And it works awesome, so that's a little free tip for you. But we're asked to volunteer for everything. You know, my, my, my kids were in sports. They were in football and in, in tennis. And uh, so we had to volunteer for concession stands. Anybody have to do that? How many of you guys like doing that? I love it. I, I was the guy who would take the order and collect the money. And I don't know why, I thought it was just this awesome, you're always interacting, doing stuff. But anyways, the coaches would send out a sign-up list for you to volunteer, and they'd say, all right, your kids are playing football, so that means we need you to serve for three different slots throughout the season. And we'd ask you to sign up for a two-hour time slot. Now, the game would usually last around four hours, but they're asking you to fill out a two-hour time slot. And so I'd usually sign up for the six to eight and then somebody else, or the five to seven and somebody else would come to the seven to nine. Now, invariably, this is what would always happen. The first crew that would serve from five to seven would be working there till seven o'clock and then guess what they would do. The other crew hadn't arrived yet, but guess what these people would do? It's all I signed up for. I only checked five to seven and it's already 7.10, I'm out of here. And so the only people who would hang out and, you know, try to, you know, take care of the rest of the customers that are coming, they'd be working their butts off just because these other people quit. That's the mind of a volunteer. A servant would never do that. A servant doesn't punch in and then punch out. I mean, imagine if a servant in the olden days was called by his master and the master said, hey, I need you to come and chop some firewood. And what if the servant came up to the master and said, ha, sorry, master, I already clocked out. And by the way, I clocked in at 10 and I, I clocked out at four, so that's six hours. I pretty much put in my quota for today. You can't really ask me to do more than that. No. A servant doesn't get to clock out for the day. A servant is always on. If the master needs a servant at 3 a.m. in the morning, the servant will get up and serve. Why? Because the servant is always on the clock. He isn't a volunteer. He's a servant. And a lot of times, I feel like the Spirit of God is trying to remind me of this. And when I'm listening, you know, like sometimes at church on Sundays we'll have big events or whatever. And, and I'll come home and it's mid-afternoon and I'm tired and, and I want to clock out. And I'll come in and my kids will be like, Hey, Dad, would you mind helping me write a paper for English? It's due tomorrow. And I'm like, you got to be kidding me. And of course, you do the whole, when did they ask you to write this paper? <laughs> well, back three months ago, but I just haven't had time. I'm like, well, you should have started. Why are we doing this right now? And I'm like, ask your mother. She hasn't put her quota in yet of serving. You know, why you come to me? And I'm like, I want to clock. I write your own paper. 
And when I'm listening, the Spirit of God will just gently say, Luke, you're a servant. Serve. You don't get the clock out. Serve your child. Show them what Jesus would do. You know, Jesus himself said, he goes, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And a servant is not a volunteer. He or she just doesn't get to choose when or when not to serve. They're willing to serve at all times because they're servants. Here's another important part of what it means to be a servant. A true servant sees a need and meets the need. And I think the greatest example of this is Jesus himself. You remember the story where John the Baptist gets brutally beheaded by, by Herod and Jesus gets the news. And you gotta understand, John the Baptist is his cousin and he's close to John. He, he loves John and, and John's the one guy on this earth who probably understands his ministry more than any other person. And he hears John was brutally beheaded by Herod and so he gets his disciples, he says, hey guys, let's, let's just get in the boat and let's go away to a lonely place. And let's just, he just wanted to mourn with his friends. Can't blame Jesus. That's real. It's a human need. So they get in this boat. You know, he gets away from the thousands of people that are crowding around him. He gets in the boat with his disciples and they head off to be alone. Well, guess what happens? The people are, they don't want to let Jesus go. So they're kind of walking, they're running around the shore and they're seeing Jesus' boat and they want to be wherever he lands, they want to meet him there. And that's exactly what happens. Jesus pulls up to shore with his disciples and the crowd pulls in to meet him. Now, I don't know about you, but if I was Jesus right there, I would have said, hey, guys, I'm clocked out. I'm, done. I'm off the clock right now. Peter turned the boat around. But Jesus didn't do that. He, he stepped off the shore, and it said he saw the crowds, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them and heal the sick and minister to them. And it got toward the later part of the day. And, you know, they've been doing this for a long time. And guess what the disciples want to do? They want to punch out. And so like, hey, Jesus, kind of getting late here. Why don't we send the people away? They're getting hungry. They need to go take care of, the, you know, their hunger stuff. And, and Jesus looks at him. He goes, you see a need? Feed them. Now, obviously, it was a training experience for, for the disciples. But the point I want you to see is that Jesus, when he saw the need, he met that need, and he took two fish and five loaves, and he fed over 5,000 people on that day because there was a need. He served. He didn't clock out. Whitestone, let's be servants like that. Amen? Another component to being a servant is that a true servant doesn't set thresholds of service. Now here's what I mean by that. I think for all of us, we like to set thresholds to how far we will go in a certain area when it comes to serving. For instance, I may be willing to mow your lawn, but don't ask me to clean your house. Okay, I have my limits. I'm not gonna, that's my threshold. Or I may be willing to pray for you from the comforts of my own house, but don't ask me to come to the hospital and, and hold your germ-infested hand and be exposed to MRSA on the walls of this hospital. You know, it's just disgusting, it's gross. You know, don't ask me, I have my, my limits, my thresholds. And you see, many of us will have levels to how we serve, we have our limits. I'll do this, but I won't do this. That's beneath me, I'm too important for that. And I remember the time I was faced with this head on, I mean square in the face. And, and I had just been asked to become the senior pastor. It was 2006, summer of 2006. I'd just been asked to be the senior pastor here at Wystone. And uh, we were doing VBS. 
And there's Vacation Bible School, and there's a ton of kids in the church, and, and I was leading a little group of kids, and somebody came up to the upstairs, and they came and said, hey, Luke, uh, real quick, there's something going on downstairs that requires a senior pastor. And I'm like, well, well. I'm your man then. And so I remember walking down, and I, I did. I had this little feeling in my heart, like, wow, I'm feeling pretty important. And I was walking downstairs, and the person led me to the men's bathroom and opened it up. I said, here you go, senior pastor. Some little boy had sprayed diarrhea all over the bathroom. And guys, I mean all over. On the wall, the paper towel dispenser, on the floor, the divider, everything. And he goes, senior pastor. And here's the backstory on that. This poor little kid, it wasn't his fault. He, he, went, he had bad stomach problems and he went in there and there was some woman was using the bathroom, the men's bathroom. I guess all the stalls in the women's bathroom were being used, so she went in the men's. So he came in, she like yelled at him, get out, there's a woman in here. So he's waiting by the door, went by the door and he walks in again. She's like, get out, I said there's a woman in here. So when she got up and came out, he went in and never made it. And it went everywhere. And guys, I'm not good with poop. <laughs> I was like, oh. I mean, I have my threshold. And I remember, I very clearly remember the Spirit of God saying, okay, hotshot, you want to lead? Serve. So I went in there. I didn't know what to do. I put like three gallons of pine salt into the thing and I started doing it. I started cleaning it. And, and I'll tell you, I don't think that my attitude was great in doing it, but I'll tell you, I certainly believe that Jesus was teaching me this, this very lesson, that there is nothing too low or too insignificant for a servant to do. Amen? A true servant just serves, no matter what it is. And you know, guys, in saying this, I, I just want to take some time to thank so many of you who serve the Whitestone family. You, you just serve, and, and I love that, and especially those in the children's ministry. You know, I think that's a ministry that gets looked over by so many people because it's beneath them. I'm too important for children's ministry. You know, the, the nursery and the toddlers, what we often will hear is, I just don't have a gift for that. I have a gift to teach adults and to preach to adults, and quite frankly, I should be doing more of that. I should be asked to do that more, but not children not being a Sunday school teacher. That's below me. My, my threshold is here. And, and I'll be honest, in churches, getting people to serve in those capacities is very, very hard because nobody wants to do it. It's below them. And it's, it's one of those areas where we have to ask for volunteers. And, and because so often we're volunteers, we come in with a volunteer attitude. We just come in, we put in our time, and we don't serve. And the kids in those classes don't get the experience to see what a true servant is. They just see someone who puts in their time. And I'm going to say, guys, that's a shame. But I'll tell you, there's so many of you who that's not the case. You, you help out in the toddler room, in the nurse room, and in Sunday school teaching, and you do it over and over again. And you serve. I remember last year, I got to help out in the downstairs toddler room for a couple services, and I went in there, and, and David and Becky Hoadley were in there. And guys, I, I'm just here to tell you, they stepped in. They didn't come in to volunteer. They came in to serve those kids, and they took it serious in what they were doing. 
Then the next service, I was in there with Sam and Dylan Whaley. And the exact same thing. They, they stepped into that class and they were Jesus to these kids. And they served them. It was awesome to see. And I remember that day, I don't know who was preaching, but the sermon went on and on and on and on. So of all the days I volunteered, it's going on and on. And so I remember talking to the Holies and the Whaley's and I'm like, so guys, this is what it's like when I go long in my sermon? They're like, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so you know how it is. I'm trying to, I, I had to volunteer attitude and I'm trying to keep these kids' attention so they don't duct tape me to the wall, you know, and I'm like, hey guys, what does the elephant make? What sound does the donkey make? What does it, and they're trying to keep them attention. And I still remember to this day, David Hodley goes, hey kids, hold on Luke. Hey kids, we got a few moments here. Let's take some time to just review what we learned today about Jesus. And the kids all turn to David, and he led them through what we learned about. And I'm like, here, I'm the pastor. I should have been doing that sort of stuff. But <laughs> David came to serve these kids, and it's awesome. Bonnie Wright and her husband served for years, every single Sunday, teaching our kids about Jesus. No one saw them. They just served because they're servants. And, and over and over, I see people serve the Whitestone family in the lesser, if you will, jobs. And I love that about so many of you. You're willing to serve. Even in the places and the roles where there isn't recognition and there's not applause. There's not many pats on the back. And so I just want to say to you, thank you. Thank you. I, I sincerely mean that from the bottom of my heart. Thank you for serving the Whitestone family. That's what servants do. And I want you to know it's huge. One more thing I want to mention about a true servant is this, is a true servant serves everyone. Now, I, what I mean by that, it's, it's a little bit like the whole threshold thing, but we do it with people. I think sometimes we, we don't mind serving these, these people over here, but <laughs> I don't want to serve these people. I, I, I don't mind doing this, but I, I don't like them. I don't want to serve them. I mean, why should I serve that person? He doesn't even agree with me. She doesn't have my same beliefs. He treats me terribly. She's mean to me. So why in the world would I want to serve these people? I'll tell you why. It's really simple. Because if Jesus is our example, then we must do what he did. And he served everybody. Remember the story when they were celebrating the Passover meal, the Last Supper. They're all in the upper room. They're all sitting around the table. They're getting ready to celebrate. And Jesus gets up, takes off his outer coat, wraps a towel around his waist, and he gets a little basin of water. And he goes around, and what does he do? He washes the disciples' feet. Their dirty, nasty, grimy, fungus, toe jam feet. <laughs> this is not a fun job. But Jesus, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, got down on his knees and he washed his disciples' feet. Now, understand this. He went down the line, Andrew and Peter and John and all this, and he comes to a guy by the name of Judas. Now, Judas, in just a few moments, is going to do what? He's going to be, betray Jesus for 30 measly pieces of silver. He's going to turn Jesus over, an innocent man over, and Jesus knew it. Now, when Jesus came to Judas, what did he do? He didn't go, oh, Judas, skip. I'm going to go on to Andrew here. No, he washed Judas's 
dirty, nasty, grimy feet because he came to serve and not be served. And he served even the man who betrayed him. Not only that, he went to the cross and he, he died on that cross for the whole world. And that includes every single one of his enemies. He died on that cross for the people who were standing before the cross hurling insults at him and mocking him and making fun of him. He died for them. He served even those people. And I'll tell you guys, if he served his enemies, then we need to serve our enemies because he is our example. We don't set the thresholds on who we serve. A servant serves everyone. Amen? Now, like I said, we could go on and on with all the characteristics of what a true servant looks like, but we don't have time to do that. So I just want to kind of quickly talk about how when we serve one another, how it promotes unity. And I want to simply say this. Guys, listen. When we, when we serve one another, it breaks down walls. It just does. It, it, it tears down the barriers. When we humble ourselves and we serve everyone else, it doesn't matter who they are, the walls are knocked down. And it promotes unity. Uh, my wife and I were reading this book the last couple of weeks. And in the book, there's a story of a guy by the name, I believe his name was Doug Nichols. And he was a missionary for Operation Mobilization. And Operation Mobilization, what they'll do is they, they will go into countries with written material that are written in their language, and they will pass out this material. And many of them don't know the language, but they just pass out this material for them to read about the good news of Jesus. And this Doug Nichols, he went to India. And uh, while he was in India, short while being in India, he got tuberculosis. And sometimes tuberculosis apparently can go into the brain and affect the brain. And so he got admitted into a sanatorium. Um, and he was in this large room with all these beds in this one room and all these. It was just filthy and dirty. And it's a third world country. And it's just gross. But he was put in here. And so Doug was like, well, God, I don't know why you allowed this. I don't know why I'm sitting here but I'm going to start passing out this material. And he didn't know the language, so he couldn't communicate with him, but he started trying to pass out this material, and everybody's like, mm, no, thank you. Mm, no. Mm. And they just kept resisting him. They didn't want anything to do with him. They wouldn't, they wouldn't talk to him. They wouldn't interact with him. The nurses treated him kind of, you know, stiff-darned him. And uh, he, was probably, he was thinking to himself, like, man, what do these people think? I'm just some rich American. Why am I here? And little did they know that he was, the, he was just as broke as they were. And, and it was just this big resistance. So he's like, God, what do I do? Well, one night he, he, was, he woke up in the middle of the night around 3 a.m. in the morning and he was coughing. And I guess the tuberculosis can cause you to cough a lot. And so he's coughing. And, and he looked across the aisle of all the beds and he saw this old man uh, was trying to get out of bed. And he just was too weak and he'd collapsed back in bed and he was just weeping crying. He'd get back up and he'd try to get up and then he'd collapse back in and he was just softly crying. And Doug was wondering, huh, I don't, I don't know what he's trying to do, but he just, you know, saw him doing that whole night long. And so the next morning he knew exactly what the man was trying to do because the whole room smelled terrible. See, the man wanted to get up and go to the bathroom, but he was just too weak to walk there. And so he soiled his pants and the bed and, and everybody in the room was just hurling insults and making fun of him. And, and they were angry at him because it stunk so bad. And the nurses came in and they were rude to him and they just said he was, they were jerking him side to side, getting the sheets. And one nurse slapped him in the face. And the old man just sat there and wept. The next night, Doug woke up again around 3 a.m. and he was coughing again. And he looked out and he saw the old man the same thing. He was trying to get up 
And then he'd collapse back in the ground, back into his bed. And he'd get up again and collapse back in his bed. And he just weeping there. And so Doug was like, man, I don't want to necessarily get involved. But he got up and he walked over to the old man and he placed his hand on the old man's shoulders. And the old man looked at him with wide eyes and he scooped the man up. And he was an old weak man, so he was pretty light, and he, he carried him to the, the bathroom, which, mind you, the bathroom was just a hole in the ground. And so he held the man up, he stood behind him, and he held him up while he did his business. And when he was done, he picked him back up, and he carried him back to his, his bed, and he set him back down. And as he was setting him back down, the old man reached up and, and whispered something he couldn't understand in his ear, and he gently kissed him on the cheek. And he set him down, and Doug went back to his bed. Next morning, he woke up to one of the patients tapping him on the shoulder, giving him a hot cup of tea. And he says, and suddenly everything changed. People were coming up and wanting to talk to him, and they were asking him, hey, can we have some of your material? They wanted his written material, and so he started passing this stuff out, and he, he still couldn't talk to him, but he's passing this stuff out, and the nurses were coming, and they were smiling at him, they were being nice to him, and, and everybody was just wanting to his material and, and were being friendly to him. And little did he know that that night when he did that, there were several patients who saw him do that. Now, I want to ask you guys a question. What broke down those walls? Was it some dude who came in and he had a PhD to his name and he gave this amazing message in their own language and he had rugged good looks? Was it that? No. It was simply just a man who humbled himself and he served. He served a, a nobody. And he did one of the most demeaning jobs you could ask for. And in doing so, walls came crumbling down. It knocked down walls like nothing else could. You see, guys, the act of, of serving someone, it requires humility. It means that we honor that person above ourselves. We, we put their well-being above our own. And in doing so, it communicates a love that nothing else could. And when someone feels loved, those walls come crashing down. The barriers collapse. And what we disagree on, what we see differently on, no longer is the focus. The person you are serving suddenly gets a real life, flesh and blood picture of Jesus. And when they see you taking the position of loneliness, they're able to suddenly be real and vulnerable with you. And that's the beauty of love. And that's the beauty of humility. And that's the beauty of serving it creates a space for two creations of God to see each other rather than see what they disagree on. We love them because God first loved us. And we serve them because God first served us. And if God loved us in our mess and he, he served us in our mess, then we can do the same. Amen? I want to end with this. Matthew 20, Jesus said these words. He goes, the greatest one among you will live as the one who's called to serve others. Because the greatest honor and authority is reserved for the one with the heart of a what? Servant. Do, do you see how countercultural that is? Do you see how completely upside down that is compared to the world? Because in the world, the lowest one on the totem pole is the servant. 
He or she who serves is considered to be the least of these. The one being served is the greatest. And Jesus shows up on the scene, he goes, nope, nah. Not in, not in God's kingdom, not in God's economy, not in God's government, that's not how it goes down. No, in the kingdom of God, it's the servant who is the greatest. It's the servant who's at the top, the one who serves, the, the one who, who knows that he doesn't punch a clock. The one who, who sees a need and in humility meets that need. The one who serves everyone and anyone, even if it's their enemy. The one who, who doesn't set thresholds of, uh, of what he will or won't do. It's the person who serves and serves because he or she understands that they are servants. That's why. And it's those people who are greatest in the kingdom of God. It's those people who stand out. And so let me just say this third service. If we want to be a church filled with greatness, then let's learn to be servants. Let's learn to serve one another in humility. Amen? Amen. Here's our homework this week. Sometimes we, in order to do something naturally where we don't have to think about it, we have to train for that. And so I want us to look at this homework this week as training for serving. Number one, what I want you to do is I want you to think of some place in your life, whether it be in your bathroom mirror or your door in your multiple places, even your car, your steering wheel. I want you to write a little note on a sticky note, and I want you to write, I am a servant of Jesus Christ every moment of the day. And every time that you see this note, I want you to say it out loud. I think there's power in that spoken word. Teach your mind to acknowledge the fact that you are a servant of Jesus, and you never punch out of that. Number two, I want you to think of a person who might be the quote-unquote Judas of your life, the one who doesn't agree with you, who stands against you. I want you to ask God how to serve that person this week, and then I want you to do it. Number three, I want you to think of a job that is too low for your important self, and then I want you to serve your heart out in that job, not for recognition, not for pats on the back. Just do it. Number four, I want you to walk throughout your day looking for needs, being, you know, asking the Lord to reveal needs that I can, might meet these needs by serving and do it. And lastly, I want you to enjoy greatness by serving. It's the antithesis of what the world will tell you, but Jesus says that's where greatness comes from. So let's do that. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for, for Jesus who is literally the greatest example of this. Thank you that he left his throne room in glory. He humbled himself, became a servant, and he served us. He served everyone. God, may we become like Jesus. May we walk and act and talk like Jesus. And may we become servants in all that we do and say. I pray this for our church family here at Whitestone, and I pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Guys, love you. Have an amazing week, and we will see you next Sunday.